If I could get you, please stand as we read from God's Word. Romans 11, verse 17 to 24. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who supported the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off, so I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Amen. Yes, please take a seat. Uh, for those who don't uh, know me, my name's Vin. I'm one of the pastors here and I have the honor and pri- privilege of preaching uh, from Romans and uh, this morning to you and to those online as well. For the video that you just saw, that's our summer sermon series. So we're going to go through the Psalms, some of the Psalms, and we've titled it uh, Songs for Life. Um, look, my encouragement is that we continue in worship through the preaching of God's Word. So whether it be electronic or physical Bibles, keep, uh, keep it open, especially in, you know, in Romans, because it gets so uh, crazy and confusing sometimes. But I've titled this sermon... Uh, Romans 11, 17 to 24, as only the humble survive, okay? Only the humble survive. Um, here at Willingdon Church, we have an amazing ministry called Mission Circle. You would see it out in the lobby. You'll see uh, uh, a few women out there uh, showing you a table of what they do out there. Uh, but the Mission Circle consists of women. Uh, I wouldn't dare call them elderly. They're just women of, of an age, who spend time making things, they make things with their hands with, for refugees and for missionaries. About a month ago, they invited me to come down. And I didn't want to, but I did it because I was afraid that they would hurt me if I didn't. <laughs> so I built up the courage a few weeks ago to go downstairs to visit the women who were involved in the ministry we call Mission Circle. And as I got down there, they were in the middle of making blankets and dresses and toques and all sorts of things. You know, as you enter into the basement, as I walk down there, to go, about to go visit, as I was building up my courage to go down there, a wave of energy just hit me in the face as I entered the room. Because what happens is when you have that many women in the room of that particular group, a set, I don't know what to say, they, have more, they, they feed off each other. And so they have more energy in their pinky than I do in my entire body. But during the time when I went down to Mission Circle, I noticed... Um, the quilt covers that I were making. You see, because as the quilt covers that the women were in the middle of making, they start sort of, they sew it from the back end. So I took a photo, and what I noticed at the back of the quilt cover as they started to make it is how the women at Mission Circle put the quilt cover together. What I noticed was different pieces of garment being put together piece by piece. From the back, you can see, if you look very carefully, the intricate detail of how it comes together to form one quilt cover. You can sort of see from the back, you can see very carefully the stitching and the thread, 
overall, the back of the quilt cover, it's, 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 it's not beautiful. It's not something to behold. But when you turn it over, it's another story. From the front, when it is complete, there is something magnificent and beautiful seeing it all come together. You see, today's passage will inform us that the same God of the Jews and of the Gentiles is putting together something beautiful, piece by piece. It might not make sense to you and I from where we are standing, but from God's point of view, it's coming together perfectly according to his plan. So from today's Bible reading, I have three points I want to make, and they are, do not be arrogant, do not be proud, do not continue, okay? So let me repeat that. Do not be arrogant, do not be proud, do not continue. Last week, the Apostle Paul concluded, the way he concluded in verse 16 of chapter 11 in Romans, he uses an example, but my example would be like, look, taking that original cake, the whole cake, slicing a piece of slice out, taking it out, and then putting that slice back in to the whole cake. And when you step back and look at the cake, oh, how wonderful that cake is as a whole. Paul knows that the Gentiles, like many of us today, we should step back. Step back and marvel at the cake and how it's all coming together. But Paul knows that his readers do not marvel at the work of God, the, the, the work of God that he is still doing and will do. And this is something Paul wants to address to his readers and listeners and to us today. So the Apostle Paul, who appended this letter to the church in Rome, now turns his focus to the Gentiles, okay? So it was, it was Israel, now it's turned to the Gentiles, like this. Think about it this way. You know when your parents verbally disciplined your sibling when you were younger, and you're laughing on the inside? Why are you laughing? You're laughing on the inside because it's them, not you. And then, you know what happens? Then your parents stop and then turn to you. And then you go, uh-oh. That's what's happening. He's turning, Paul's turning, and now looking at us. So in verses 17 to 19, I'm going to read it again, because we're going to go bit by bit, verse by verse. And it says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant, toward the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off, so that I might be grafted in. Okay, to my first point, do not be arrogant, which is stated right there in verse 18. This is a reminder that, this is a reminder for us as we read through the whole text, that when you read through this passage, Paul uses the pronoun you. This is referring to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And when Paul uses the pronouns they and their, he's referring to the Jewish people, as in the nation of Israel. The passage leading up to where we are today, Paul was looking, you have to imagine him looking into a microscope, okay? He's looking to the microscope that is Israel, but now Paul is taking a step back from the microscope, and he's looking at the bigger picture. Paul is doing this because he knows that his readers have an attitude problem. The question for us now is, how the Gentiles attained this attitude problem. In verse 17, Paul refers to the branches. That's what he calls it, the branches. He's referring to the branches are the Jewish people who do not believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the person that God said he would send to save his chosen people. They don't believe in it. Paul ends in verse 17 with something that was known to many Gentile believers. And that they all knew was that the branches were broken off. 
because they didn't believe they're broken off. In last week's message, the Apostle Paul was teaching his readers that God's rejection of Israel is temporary. But now, Israel's rejection, as Paul describes it, is the breaking of the branch. Okay, if you're going to keep rejecting me, that's it. Look, this was public Christian knowledge because the, first, the majority of the first Christians were Jews. Those Jewish converts were informing the Gentiles that the Jews who did not convert, those Jews, broken off. And the word term broken off is, better, is translated as like cut off or discarded. That's it, we're done with you. So think of it this way. Like most children, my children, when they ask me to peel a banana for them, when I finally get to peel the banana, they look at the banana, and you know what they see? They see that small bruise right there. You know? You know that bruise? That bruise that seems, it seems so small, that small section of the banana, but that, that small bruise is like that, looks like a, a, a black, you know, it looks like a rotten piece of black. My kids look at the bruise with complete disgust. And I don't want anything to do with it. Depending on how small or big the bruise is, the truth is, I have to cut it off. I have to break it off. Because if I don't, they won't eat it. And if they don't eat, they starve. And then I get in trouble. Children look relieved, believing that after you've discarded, cut off that, what they call the yucky part, they think this incomplete banana is now the best thing to them. You see, this is where the arrogance stems from. See, arrogance is defined as having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. That's what arrogance is. This means that the Gentiles had exaggerated their sense of importance because they were proud of the thought that the Jews were now outside the circle. And for them, these converts, they were inside the circle. That Jesus had accepted them, but Jesus had rejected others. They were proud of that. We're in, you're out. Christians can, today can think and feel the same things as the Christians back in the first century. We as Christians can look at other religions or cults and think to ourselves, thank goodness we are not like them. We're in, they're out. Let me make it very clear. It is true that Christianity is unique and unlike any other religion or cult. Let me make that clear. But let not us fall asleep and be arrogant. Because you know why? I have personally seen our arrogance feed into our following. Okay, let me repeat that. I have personally seen our arrogance feed into our following of Jesus. See, I've seen the attitude of Christians growing up in the church, a wonderful thing, since I prayed that one prayer long ago when I went up to the altar to accept Jesus, Christians think, I'm set, I'm done, there's nothing to worry about. I can now live my life my way because I did that one prayer. Look, for many of us, the one prayer was an incredible and an amazing one-off experience that changed the trajectory of your life. For others, though, it's a gradual in a slow act of repentance. But both, fast and slow, both are called to an ongoing life of repentance towards Jesus. Ongoing. To Christians in the room here today, to my brothers and sisters, that attitude that you brought to Jesus, do you remember the attitude that you brought to Jesus when you realized your life was out of control? You know that moment when you came to the altar 
that moment where you had no hope, there was nothing else, when everyone else in your life abandoned you, where every wrong decision that you made was sort of too heavy for you to carry, or when that moment when the anxieties of the world, the pressures of the world, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't follow anymore. You were done. And at that moment, when you prayed, when you asked Jesus, you at that moment, you cried out to him, save me. With that same heart, my brothers, my sisters, with that same heart, with that same cry, we cry out to the same Savior every single day until we see him face to face. For those of you here today, this morning, at Willingdon Church who are interested in Jesus or exploring Christianity, or you're just trying to figure out what what Willingdon Church is all about, First of all, you have no idea how thankful we are that you're here with us. But you need to know today that you are welcome here. And that Jesus, whoever he might be to you, is actually pursuing you. Jesus wants you to know him like a father. Like a father wanting a relationship with a child who no longer lives at home, has run away. But if you do choose to come home, that baggage that you bring home, Jesus takes it all. He takes all of it. So come as you are, but know this, he will never leave you as you are. Going back to Paul's writing in the Church of Rome, Paul reminds the Gentiles and us today that we are the, what he calls, the wild olive shoot that has been grafted into an olive tree. Look, here's an example of a wild olive shoot that has been grafted to an olive tree. So you take a shoot, a very wild one that doesn't do anything, and you graft it into a tree itself. See, the Gentiles, including Christians today, we are that wild olive shoot. The wild olive shoot that has done nothing, produced nothing, contributes nothing. But the beautiful thing about this image is this, is that the farmer comes into the scene, takes the wild olive shoot, grafts it, the wild olive shoot, remember it's a shoot, not a tree, and he grafts it into the, to a tree itself. When this occurs... When the wild shoot is grafted into a tree, it is the wild olive shoot that takes the sap from the olive tree, and then the wild olive shoot becomes one with the olive tree. This word picture that Paul gives should help the Gentiles and us today to not be arrogant, because it is not our doing, but his. See, William Ramsey, a Scottish New Testament scholar from the 19th century, says... In exceptional circumstances, it is customary to reinvigorate an olive tree which is ceasing to bear fruit by grafting it with a shoot of the wild olive so that the sap of the tree ennobles this wild shoot and the tree now again begins to bear fruit. Look, what William Ramsey is saying is that in the sort of these rare, most magical moments and cases, the olive tree and the wild olive shoot benefit from each other. And together they produce fruit. The Apostle Paul's exhortation, verse 18, is a good and strong reminder that not only are we better together, Jew and Gentile, but the other thing he's informing us is that, look, the Bible that I hold is a Jewish Bible, that this Jewish Bible reveals to the Jews and to us today of a Jewish Savior, a Jewish Messiah. We just call him Jesus. This should make the Gentiles, you and I here, pause, pray, and praise. 
But according to Romans chapter 11, verse 19, that Gentiles, and we here today, my brothers and sisters, we have an attitude that needs to be changed. Because arrogance tends to make us revel in people's misfortunes. We can look at the people who are out and think, you know, we're better off than them. But the truth is, God knew that the Jews and the Gentiles were both misfortunate. Both were in desperate need of saving. And so God did not send a king to save. But he sent a servant. He sent a servant to save, and that servant is Jesus. This now leads me to my second point. The first point was do not be arrogant. The second point is do not be proud. If you look with me in verse 20 and 21, it says this. Okay, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Okay, in the first part of verse 20, Paul seems to sort of look past the arrogance of the Gentiles and sort of moves his listeners to what, should, what they should be focused on. But he knows, as he helps move us along and the listeners along, he knows that the people have thoughtful, I mean prideful thoughts. He knows this. Matthew Henry, a preacher from England in the 17th century, once said about pride, he says this, We should take heed of pride. It is a sin that turned angels into devils. First, the nation of Israel was broken off. And Paul states it very clearly. They were broken off not because they were not chosen. They were broken off but because of their unbelief. But the more critical issue for the Gentiles and for us, you and I, is to know that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we are saved by Christ alone. It has nothing to do with you and me, nothing to do with our achievements or lack thereof. So what are we to do then? It's got nothing to do with us. We contribute nothing, produce nothing. What do we do? As 19th century Scottish preacher Robert Murray once said to his congregation, he says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners. Even the chief, even the worst is what he's saying. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love, and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart, and so there will be no room for folly, or the world, or Satan, or the flesh. I believe Robert is telling us to look into the things that matter, and he's saying, wait, what really matters is Jesus. I've personally noticed about, I've noticed something about grandparents. There's actually something amazingly beautiful about grandparents. There's something gracious about them. Yes, it might be the fact that maybe they see life as a bit more fragile now, but I actually think there's something a bit deeper. I know this, I know they see something deeper in life. This is what I've noticed about grandparents. They spoil their grandchildren, right? Yes, feed them all the sugar and then hand them over to the parents. Shame on you. I'm kidding. But, they, but grandparents don't just, you know, they don't just, it's not just with gifts. But I've seen grandparents spend time, energy, hugs, 
kisses. You know what I remind my children? That their grandparents never did that for their father. When I tell, when I tell my children that, they give me a very strange look because Laura and I do that for our kids often, or their grandparents do it for them often. Hugs, kisses, gifts. They in particular like the cash, but anyway. <laughs> but my children will look at me and say, but why? Why is it the case? And I go on to tell them that grandma and grandpa, when they were younger, were not like the way they are now. But what do you mean, Dad? Well, grandma and grandpa, when daddy was a child, worked really hard, like really hard. And that meant they had less time to spend with daddy. There was also not a lot of money. Mom, grandma and grandma didn't have a lot of money when daddy was growing up. So I think that worried them often, maybe more than it should have. Hugs and kisses did not happen as much as daddy wanted, but grandma and grandpa were just, they were just trying to survive. What I have seen in my parents, I have seen in other grandparents. I think they look at life with great humility. You know, they've had the opportunity now, as they've gone through the processes of life, they've seen the things that really matter. I think my parents would look back at their lives and wish they could do a redo. But knowing that that is not possible, I think they do the redo, or they do the things that they've always wanted to do with their grandchildren. So to all the grandparents out there, we love you and we thank you. But stop giving my children sugar. <laughs> but church, brothers and sisters, let's follow their example and do the things that actually really matter when you've had that experience of life. The Apostle Paul helps his listeners to understand the gravity of the situation. Hey, if you don't sort of work through this and process this, there's, there's something coming. In verse 21, he says this, if God was willing to let his sort of natural people, his chosen people, if he was willing for them to walk away, go, abandon, then he's going to have no issue with allowing the wild ones, the wild people to walk away. Sort of like a father. You know that father that, that, that is the basketball coach for his son's team? If the father is willing to let his son be benched, or be kicked off the team, then the father would be willing to have his son's teammates sit on the bench and off the team too. Why wouldn't he? See, Paul knows the proper response towards the arrogance and pride, because those are the two major issues he's unfolding, the arrogance and the pride. He knows the best solution, the best response is humility. But the question is then, how do we remain there? How do we re remain in that humility? Because if you're anything like me, we have a tendency to actually think quite highly of ourselves. See, Gentiles in the first century and Christians today naturally have the tendency, we have this tendency to do good things. And we privately, you might not admit this, but I'll admit it for us, but I'll admit, like when I, I'll privately think to myself, look at me, Jesus. Look at all the good things I'm doing. I hope you notice. And it'll be a bonus if other people noticed as well. The Apostle Paul's answer comes with one word, one. I encourage you to highlight it, underline it in your Bibles, and it comes at the, right at the end of verse 20, and that is the word fear. The word fear in the original Greek is phobeo, but basically it's, it's, in the English word, we would translate as the word phobia. But the Apostle Paul does not mean to have an irrational fear. That's not what he's saying. 
He's actually saying the fear you should have is a reverence, a healthy fear about something, or more importantly, about someone. I can still remember, and I can still remember the first day I saw my first niece, Sienna. I think she's watching in line in Calgary. So Sienna, if you're watching, I love you. When Sienna was brought home from the hospital that very first day, I can still remember it. It was 10 years ago now, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember going to the bonus room with Laura. Laura, Laura picks up Sienna and just holds her. And then all of a sudden, Laura turns to me and asks, do you want to hold her? My automatic reaction in my brain was, are you crazy? I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. I don't have a degree in holding a newborn baby. Why would you, why would you hand me this thing? And right at that moment, right at that moment, a healthy fear came over me, and I replied with a no. Yes, there was a little fear that if I held her, I would drop her. So I asked Laura to put Sienna down somewhere safe so that I could just stare at her. And at that moment of putting her down, I was no longer scared. I wasn't scared of dropping her, but I was in awe and wonder of her. Have you seen a newborn baby? Because when I saw her, all I could think, all I could think to myself is, how? God, how? How did you form something so amazing and beautiful in the room? How did you do this? And now all I could do was stare at her. See, arrogance and pride cannot survive in the presence of a holy God. So look to him in his word. Because it will remind us of how small we are, but also of how beautiful he is. This now leads me to my last point, my third and final point, do not continue. So let me read for us, starting from verse 22 to verse 24, and it says this, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who are fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? You know, the first word, note, I don't think that's the best translation. I think the best, uh, I, I believe the better translation for the original, uh, sort of the Greek word, is the word behold. Behold sort of more deeply encourages us as readers to pay careful attention, to have deep thoughts about what's happening here. See, the idea that Paul is trying to portray is, 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 is more than just looking at when a cashier hands you the receipt and you just sort of look over the receipt to make sure the prices are uh, correct. No. But you, it's, more look, it's more like looking at the potential person you're thinking about getting married to. The question now is, what are we to behold? There are two things in verse 22 it tells us to behold. And we are to behold God's kindness and God's severity. Okay, God's kindness and God's severity. The word severity is used twice, but the word kindness is used three times, which means I want to spend more time in God's kindness rather than his severity. The word severity, though, he means to sort of cut off quickly and immediately some have used the words cut off at the end of verse 22 as sort of this idea of Christians losing their salvation. But this is not what Paul is referring to. 
Think of it more like this. Have you ever walked past a house where either on the front door of the house or on the fence of the house, there's a warning, and that warning is on the house, it says, beware of dog. Okay, so some will have just this big yellow one or big white one, and it says, beware of dog. Some will have a, a, a picture of the dog, like a vicious dog, you know, frothing at the mouth, waiting to kill you. But the reality is, the dog inside the house is some tiny fluffy dog, about this small. And then if you did break into the house, the dog would welcome you in. And as you're stealing stuff, it helps you carry that stuff out to your car. See, the truth is, you've got to think about it this way. The sign is there to warn you. The purpose of, of it is not the dog to attack you. The point is for you to stay away. Head towards this direction. Stay away from the house. And don't be worried about the fluffy, the dog that's going to kill you. God could cut off, but the point is, Paul is making for the first century Christians of us today is, you've got to continue, walk away from this, the warning is, walk away from this, and head towards God's kindness to you. And stay there. Because arrogance and pride cannot survive towards this direction. See, the idea behind the word kindness is this. The idea is real help for real needs. That's what he means by kindness, real help for real needs. Do you know what country today has one of the fastest growing churches in the entire planet? Iran. Iran is going through a lot of turmoil. Not just political, but also religious persecution. And we should continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Iran, that God will meet all their needs. But God is actually doing something quite special in Iran. Look, he might not be fulfilling every need that they have, but he's satisfying their biggest need. And just like Canada, Iran needs a savior. Not a savior to make you rich or healthy or better, but a savior to save you from your sins, to save you from your brokenness, the brokenness of decisions that you make that hurt you but also hurt others, a savior to save us even from the resentment we feel when we hurt people and when people hurt us and when they wrong us. And it irks us on the inside. We need saving from that. Jesus is saving people in Iran at a rate that no one could have, no one would have ever guessed. But we want Jesus to do the same thing here, in our country, and all across the world. If you are here today and you've not yet asked Jesus to be your savior, because you don't think God could do anything with your life because you know your life better than anyone in this room, and you know your life is a complete mess. You know it's a mess because you've tried so hard to run and rule your life, and that there's no way God could take someone as wild as you and then make you somehow produce good and holy fruit. My friend, this morning you need to know you were wrong. Because look at verse 24. Look at it with me. There's a very key phrase in there that the Bible highlights there. And I would encourage you to highlight, stamp it, underline it. And that is contrary to nature. This means that God does things that no one else can do. That not even nature can do. 
that he can take a wild olive shoot and make it alive. Jesus can take something worthless and give it worth. Jesus can take something broken and make it whole. Jesus can take something dead and make it alive. So Jesus can take the nation of Israel and nations that have been cut off, broken off. That he can take that by his power and graft them back in. The word continue occurs twice in this passage. I would encourage you to, once again, highlight, underline that word in your Bibles. The word continue is best understood as the word abide. So we have two options. The two options are we either abide in unbelief or we abide in God's kindness. I want to conclude with a thought from Pastor Timothy Keller, who passed away last month. Pastor Timothy Keller, he knew that people struggled with faith in Jesus. He knew you and I, both you and I, struggle with faith in Jesus. And throughout the years, he had heard many Christians say, in every circumstances, not just with salvation, but health or whatever it is, he would hear the words, you just need more faith. You just need more faith. But Timothy Keller challenges that. He's saying that if you, if you heard that term, if you think about it, he's just saying, that's just more work. That's work-based. Try harder. Then get more faith. Then Jesus will do something. But Timothy Keller says in his book, the reason for God believes belief in an age of skepticism. It is not the strength of your faith, okay? not the size of it, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith, so big faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. So today, to my brothers and sisters, to those who do not know Jesus, what do you make today, this day, June 11th, 2023? Make today where you put all your faith, no matter how big or small, no matter how weak Put it in Jesus to save, because it's not the size of your faith that matters, but in Jesus, the object of your faith. He's the one that saves. He has promised the remnant of Israel to save them. He will keep that promise to save you. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, for each and every one in this room, we come to you with humility. And as we come before you, take away our arrogance and pride. That no matter how small and weak our faith is, we go to you. You are strong. You are mighty. You will save. You are saving and you have saved. So Jesus, no matter what circumstance that we are in, each and every one of us in this room, good, bad, ugly, poor, rich, the strong, the weak, we all, every single one of us, come before you. In our weakness, save us with your strength. Jesus, help us. Help us to be in fear, in reverence of who you are and what you have done and what you will do for Israel that you're doing for us now. Jesus, help us to step back in moments and see the wonder of your works. So Jesus, this day, June 11th, 2023, 
by the power of what you have done on the cross, by the power of your resurrection. Save. Would you save some in this room? We ask in faith, in you, and in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there'll be reflection questions on there. But during the time of reflection, there will be elders and pastors and some life group leaders who will be in the front. If something has challenged you today, we encourage you to come to the front and pray with those who are here in the front during the time of reflection and the song that we respond with.